0: frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today.
2: This is the John Fugelsang Podcast.
0: This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to Tell Me Everything. Hello to all the daywalkers listening on the SiriusXM app and On Demand and on the John Fugelsang Podcast. Hello to our evil army of the night. We'd love to hear from all of you. You can always send emails to our Facebook page or my website, or you can call us, even if you're a daytime listener. Get some announcements out of the way. Thea Harper, uh, the goddess, is here. Chris Houseelt is running this thing from the South Carolina Bureau this weekend. uh, I'm going to be part of the off-Broadway run of Laughing Liberally, which will be running for the next month here in New York City to try to, uh, you know, get the people out there who care about political comedy at a time when democracy itself is teetering on a very discernible brink a lot of great comics are doing this show it's uh called indictment incitement you can go and get tickets to that at indictmentexcitement.com, if you can remember to say those words in that order i'm going to be at the uh where am i playing i'm playing at the belly room at the uh, at the Comedy Store in L.A. on Monday, October 17th. That's right after this show. I'll be going on stage there. So come see that. And, of course, the big sexy liberal comedy tour with Stephanie Miller. This one's called the Save Democracy Tour. Our uh, last show of the midterm season will be at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills on Saturday, the 22nd of October. You can get tickets at sexyliberal.com, and the best part about that show, we have some great guests coming. Rob Reiner's going to be on stage with Stephanie and Hal and me, Adam Schiff, some other surprises I can't say yet, and if you can't make it out to LA, you can see the entire show streaming through a pay-per-view, which will be really fun, so go to sexyliberal.com and come be a part of the drunken reverie before the midterms, if we can even get that far. All right, let's get to it. Congratulations. We finished the first week of October. This month began with us on the show. We got a guy to admit that Colin Kaepernick's knee bothered him more than Derek Chauvin's. It's one of the many entertainments we provide. That's how the first week of October began for us. We saw, of course, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis opposing Hurricane Sandy relief funds 10 years ago, then going hat in hand this week to get relief funds from Joe Biden. And I just want to say, if you focus too much on that hypocrisy, you'll miss the hypocrisy of him getting the relief funds and then shit talking Joe Biden as soon as Biden leaves the state. Uh, Also, we're watching what's happening in Ukraine. We've agreed on two things. Uh, Vladimir Putin is certifiably insane, but he'd never use nukes. Vlad is a 70 years young ladies and Marjorie Taylor He's single, too. We saw Tucker Carlson decide to blame the American president for the Nord Stream pipeline bombing. What was Tucker's evidence? Tucker doesn't need evidence, sheeple, because making gas prices go up again. That was all along Joe Biden's evil strategy to win the midterm. So, of course, he blew up the pipeline. Katanji Brown Jackson began her term on the Supreme Court. Unconfirmed reports say on day one, Clarence Thomas turned to her and said, you smell nice. He didn't do that, but I want to believe he did. Uh, Clarence Thomas, of course, is in the news all week long because, as you guys know, he's helping Trump with Trump's corrupt theft of U.S. documents, even though Justice Thomas's wife, Ginny, helped Donald Trump's corrupt attempt to steal our democracy. But again, in fairness, these are totally different types of corruption. Completely unrelated crimes, liberals. Get off their back. Clarence Thomas has recused himself from credibility. And then, of course... It's hard to say, but I think the story of the week's got to be Herschel Walker. His lies about having a cop didn't bother the Republicans. All those secret children he lied about to his staff, that didn't bother Republicans. The way he held a loaded gun to his wife's head. But this week, we found out that he terminated a pregnancy. And we found out that his family hates him and calls him a liar. Then we found out that uh, the woman who terminated the pregnancy is a woman he's already had a baby with. And then we found out that he pressured her to have another abortion and she didn't do it. And that child's now 10 and Herschel has seen that child three times in his life. Republicans didn't care because Republicans don't care. They care about winning. That's it. They care about power. They care about owning the libs, but things like ideology, that's just shit you say to get people to feel good when they vote for you. Only thing I can say for sure, I would bet cash money now that the Herschel Walker Raphael Warnock debate is also about to be aborted. <laughs> that's, th- that's what they revealed this week. <laughs> I oppose abortion in all cases, unless it's to save the political life of the father. If the Republicans cared about abortion, they'd fight. For easier access to birth control if they cared about abortion they'd want to have sex ed in schools they don't they need abortion as a campaign issue we talk about it all the time like they don't care about undocumented immigration if they did they'd lock up people like donald trump who hire all these folks they don't care they need to run on it by the way speaking of Herschel walker uh good to know at the georgia state fair ryan kemp Governor running for re-election against Stacey Abrams said, of course, he'll keep on supporting Herschel Walker, even though abortion is a murder. Every abortion is murder. And Herschel Walker paid for murder. But he feels really bad about it, even though he says he didn't do it. So he didn't do He lied, but he feels bad about it. And he said he's been forgiven and redeemed, but he didn't do it. Everyone in his family that says he's lying is lying. So vote for the guy whose family warns you about him. You know, I've really had it with this whole notion of Brian Kemp being somehow virtuous because he told the truth for five minutes that Donald Trump really lost the election. Can I can we talk about that for a second? Can we side by that for a second because he's leading Stacey Abrams and it's tragic. And Georgia, I love your state. I really, really hope you turn out to vote. I really hope putting women in jail in your state for terminating pregnancies isn't going to be the norm. But Brian Kemp briefly said, yeah, there, there was no voter fraud in Georgia. And then he was terrified of Donald Trump, Mm, terrified of Donald Trump supporters. So then he said, oh, we were frustrated with the results of the 2020 election. And he signed off on SB 202, which makes it harder for Georgia citizens to vote. He had it both ways. He told the truth and then he glommed onto the lie. And wait, 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 how does it make it harder for Georgia citizens to vote? Well, uh, it's called the Election Integrity Act, and it fights a lot of problems he acknowledged didn't exist. There was no voter fraud in Georgia. He told the truth that there was no voter fraud in Georgia. But then he was so scared of the backlash, he passed a big old law to fight all this voter fraud in Georgia. Drastically reduced drop boxes. That makes it harder for people to vote, especially disabled people. He shrank the window for early voting. That makes it harder for some people to vote. He made it a crime to give water to people on long lines. He has now a voter ID requirement for mail-in voting, even though there is no problem in any of the states with voter impersonation. Voter ID laws exist for one reason, to make it harder for American citizens to vote. And, and best of all, uh, this law allows state officials in Georgia to interfere in county election management If they don't like the election outcomes that they're seeing, he literally allowed big government to throw out democracy if they feel like it. Brian Kemp defended the truth against the conspiracy theories for about a week. And then to save face with MAGA, he spread conspiracy theories about voter impersonation and election fraud to pass a bill that makes it harder for Georgians to vote. He was brave for a week. All right, let's get back to the uh, Sachin Littlefeather. The Apache activist and actress who refused the Oscar on Marlon Brando's behalf in 1973. Ringo Starr had to cancel his tour because he's got COVID and he's 82. Please, Ringo, get better. Uh, Elon Musk and Twitter, they now have until the end of the month to figure out how their marriage is going to work. This $44 billion deal that he wanted and then didn't want and now he wants again and now he's trying to weasel out again. You know, it's like all I'll say about Elon Musk. If you're going to watch a production of Hamlet... It helps to have a convincing actor in the lead. Dude from the Proud Boys, Jeremy Bertino, pled guilty to seditious conspiracy. Now the first member of the group to admit to the charge since January 6th. OPEC is cutting back on oil. Our gas prices will go up. We know it is the fault of OPEC, which includes Saudi Arabia and Russia. In other words, Hunter Biden, watch the fuck out. We're coming for you. Oh, yeah, uh, they're going to indict Hunter Biden, except they're not. Law enforcement officials said it, but law enforcement officials, they don't do indicting. Prosecutors do. And it was a leak. So that was supposed to be the big news of the day. And then Biden essentially pardoned anyone who has a federal conviction for nonviolent weed possession. (laughs) And uh, we found out that the U.S. has erased racial disparities and new COVID-19 death rates even after you adjust for age. Why? Well, because the Biden administration works so hard to get black and brown people Uh, in rural areas to get their shots, and now the remaining pool of unvaccinated Americans is disproportionately Republican and white, which is very sad. We would like these folks to get their shots and live a long time, but it's yet more proof from this administration that if you spend money and try to reach poor Americans, you can make a difference. Also, state secrets found on Hunter Biden's laptop, zero, zero. And finally today, It comes back to Herschel Walker once more. They fired their political director, Taylor Crow. Two people familiar with the matter said Crow was fired after a suspected leaking to members of the media. In other words, they're terrified and they want to make it look like they did something. But right after this news came by, the woman who said Herschel paid for her abortion in 2009 told the New York Times he urged her to terminate a second pregnancy two years later. So, Republicans, what are you going to do? Herschel committed murder one time. Then he attempted murder a second time. This is Herschel, right? A week ago, Herschel was saying, I did not have sex with that woman who says I paid for her abortion in 2009. By today, uh, we did have a baby together two years later. Finally, a new COVID wave appears to be brewing in Europe as the cooler weather is arriving. Public health experts across the pond are warning that vaccine fatigue and confusion over what vaccines we should get might keep people from getting their boosters. And British officials are saying a renewed circulation of the flu and a resurgence in COVID could really overstretch their National Health Service this winter. There's new Omicron subvariants. They're gaining ground. I know you think we're behind it, but brothers and sisters, you are listening to a guy who had long COVID this year. You don't want to mess with long COVID. You don't want to spend months like I did. It's a big drag. And right now, the EU cases reached 1.5 million last week. That's up 8% from the week before, even though there's a lot less testing. This is getting scary. Case numbers are going down still. But, but that's because we're not testing. Hospitalization numbers have gone up. Nobel Peace Prize was given to Alice Bialtowski, the detained activist in Belarus, Russian Human Rights Organization Memorial, and Ukrainian Human Rights Organization Center for Civil Liberties. Very inspiring. You knew it would have something to do with the war in Ukraine. The committee said they wanted to honor three outstanding champions of human rights, democracy, and peaceful coexistence. And finally, um, the rate of suicides in our country last year went to near record levels, according to a report from the CDC. This was quietly released and didn't get a lot of coverage in the media, but last year's rise overturned a two-year trend in a decline in suicide deaths in America. Last year, 47,646 recorded suicide deaths in one year. That figure, my friends, represents one American death every 11 minutes. That's 14 suicides for every 100,000 Americans. Now, the overall rate has increased by about 31% over the last 20 years. And no one can agree in the psychology world on how the pandemic would affect the rate of suicide in the US. Some were hopeful that the isolation might keep people away from stressors. Others feared the isolation might damage mental health, and both could be true. If you or a loved one are struggling with suicidal thoughts, Remember, you can always call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number is 800-273-TALK. 800-273-8255. Or you can contact the Crisis Text Line by texting TALK to 741-741. And any if you are struggling with these thoughts, if it's getting too real and you have no one to talk to, you can pick up your phone and text or dial 988. Help is there. I'm John Fugle saying this is XM Progress. Right now, a record 68% of Americans supported legalizing cannabis in a Gallup poll last year. The newest poll just this week from Politico is at 66%. Only 27% of citizens don't think cannabis should be legalized. Joe Biden, of course, pardoned all people convicted of simple marijuana possession under federal law Thursday. And he asked for an expeditious review of how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. I always get a bit suspect when I hear about these expeditious reviews because we've had lots of these reviews over the decades. We all know the numbers and it seems like, is that just a snooze alarm to have more time to not do anything? And then I realize I'm undercutting this short. This is the biggest step ever taken towards decriminalizing cannabis in this country. So I need someone smarter than me with a much better perspective on this on the federal and state level. And I'm so glad to welcome Mark Levin to the sh- Mark Levin to the show. I, he never gets that, I'm sure. He's chief policy counsel at the Council on Criminal Justice. He began the Texas Public Policy Foundation's Criminal Justice Program in 2005, and in 2010, developed the concept for the Right on Crime Initiative, to which he serves as senior advisor. Uh, Mr. Levin was named to the Politico 50, and he testified many times on criminal justice policy before congress it is a great pleasure to welcome mark levin to siriusxm thanks for having me thank you so much and let's get this out of the way i i I really tried i know it must be agonizing for you to get that all the time as a guy whose name begins with fu i understand the mark levin thing and i apologize if i got it wrong at all um i thank you for doing the lord's work and and i want to just begin by asking How did you feel? Were you surprised that Joe Biden actually pulled the button on this and uh, made this announcement before Election Day?
4: Well, I, I think the timing survived, surprised everyone since, you know, I don't think anybody had a heads up that I know of, maybe Merrick Garland, uh, but obviously he's going to play it close to the best. But I think the um, uh, it's long overdue. Uh, this, uh, if ever there's been a case of the cure being worse than the disease, it's marijuana policy. Yeah. And uh, so many states, as you referenced, have already either legalized, decriminalized. The vast majority of states have at least medical marijuana. And so the, you know, dichotomy of, of, of people making millions or even maybe someday billions off of selling this plant, uh, and yet others either incarcerated or facing lifelong collateral consequences from criminal convictions is really too much for anyone to take, I would hope.
0: Absolutely. And right now we're looking at Arkansas, Maryland, Missouri, North Dakota, and South Dakota, they all have legalization measures on their ballots for next month 19 states have legalized cannabis for recreational use and as you mentioned 38 states have legalized it for medicinal use um but it is important to remember i, I was very inspired by his speech more than 6500 people were convicted of just possession between 1992 and 2021 under federal law so so it does happen and this is something he promised to do during his campaign but We can't stress this enough that most convictions still happen at the state level, leaving those pardons up to the whims of individual governors.
4: Right, and also, of course, this didn't cover uh, dealing marijuana, and there are people in federal prison for that. It did cover people uh, convicted under D.C. law, which is thousands. I don't think we have a precise total. So that's on top of the 6,500. Now, granted, granted, none of those 6,500 are currently in federal prison, but this will uh, give them some relief from the collateral consequences um, of a conviction, which can deal with you know serving on a jury, a whole host of things, um, owning a firearm, which hopefully Second Amendment enthusiasts that's will. Right. And that's you know been a little disappointing. I mean, Nancy Mace has been terrific, the Congresswoman from South Carolina, and her reaction to this. But I mean, at the center at the Council on Criminal Justice, we really look at the evidence and we work in a bipartisan way. And you know, when when regardless of which party something is coming from, you know, uh, I, those of us who support less government, this is an opportunity to stand up and cheer and say we are yes. relieving some of the heavy weight of unnecessary government on the backs of the American people. <laughs>
0: The argument i keep trying to make right i mean let's (laughs) stop interfering with the day-to-day lives of citizens as you well know cannabis is classified as a schedule one narcotic like heroin like lsd it's been deemed to have no medical care and a high potential for abuse um maybe not like heroin and lsd uh you know to hear the president speaking about this it sounds great until i realize you know I'm sure you've heard these same words said by people who weren't the president for decades. Are you at all optimistic that something like an expeditious review to explore how it's scheduled when I just nailed it in five seconds? I mean, are they just hitting the snooze button on this to not do anything and kick the can down the road more?
4: Yeah, I think of this fentanyl is scheduled, too. So it's actually scheduled as being less severe than marijuana and it's killing oh, thousands People. Um, So uh, but, you know, yes, I do think there's a a chance this will a good chance this will end up in uh, rescheduling, although there's some lack of clarity as to whether Congress has to be involved in that. But the bigger issue is simply moving it to schedule two doesn't solve most of the problems. It will make it easier to conduct research on marijuana, which. You know, it's so frustrating, like gun policy is a similar now mostly repealed uh, limitation prevented. Uh, But uh, other than that, I mean, we really need congressional action to create a legal framework uh, from marijuana, and if nothing else, send it back to the states in the spirit of federalism and the Tenth Amendment, and, and end this federal prohibition. And as you know, Senator Schumer has a bill, Nancy Mace has a bill. It's not easy uh, because you want to make sure there's transparency; people know the purity, know the exact product they're getting. But on the other yes. hand, if you if you if you kind of limit the THC too much, then you just get a black market again. So it it's a striking a balance that's important.
0: I mean, I'm still waiting for our libertarian friends to ride to the rescue on this and help us out. Uh, but I mean, what about you know, as many activist groups are saying, just completely deschedule marijuana from the entire Controlled Substances Act. Just lift it off of there. I mean, keeping it on the federal drug schedule more doesn't that just guarantee people will continue to face criminal charges for having it?
4: Well, I mean, I think you make a good point. And on the other hand, even if you just removed it entirely, it still wouldn't, um, uh, you know, uh, necessarily solve the entire problem. But it certainly would be better than just moving it to another schedule. Uh, But I I still believe it's important because, of course, you have people that cross state lines. There's a lot of interstate issues that that do need to be resolved, even if we uh, send this issue back to the states, You know, our former governor here in Texas, Rick Perry, wrote a book. It came out like 10 years ago saying we should just send this back to the states. That's right. um, Um, You know, it's um, surprising to me that there aren't more folks on the right Echoing that. Um, But, you know, some of the reactions have been really disappointing. Like Tom Cotton said, well, you know, uh, perhaps prosecutors pled murder down to possession of marijuana. Uh, It was preposterous. Any prosecutor who did that would be out of a job. Um, So, and again, also in this country, right, we only punish people for what we actually convict them of, not for. There are cases where things are plead down on a much, you know, uh, narrower level than that. But, but, you know, that's not an excuse for keeping a terrible policy in place that someone might have done something worse, but we don't have the evidence.
0: Well, yeah, but you you make a good point because Tom Cotton wants to run for president next year and you and I can sit with sane people and discuss rehabilitation instead of incarceration. But that kind of talk doesn't get Republicans elected in this country, does it? <laughs>
4: Well, you know, I, I, I think there are a lot of people on the right that are, especially when you point out that that this is coming at the expense of resources to violent crime. I mean, here in Texas, marijuana is still one of the top couple reasons why people are arrested, along with driving with a suspended license. All Amazing. the police bandwidth we put into that is taking away from solving. We're solving 48 percent of homicides in this country. We, we could be using those resources to actually keep people safe, which is really important.
0: Well, I mean, you developed the concept for the, the Right on Crime Initiative, for the Texas Public Policy Foundation's Criminal Justice Program. And tell us a bit about how that work there contributed to nationally praised policy changes that we've now seen leading to dramatic declines in crime and incarceration. Because to me, my biggest concern is every time a great legal mind like yourself comes forward with initiatives that could reduce the amount of incarceration, I see more contracts going out for private prisons, and to me, profit-driven prisons seem to be why they're going to keep needing to fill them. It just sort of seems like a supply and demand issue, and as long as we keep having for-profit prisons, we're going to have to keep filling those beds in spite of the best intentions to reduce incarceration rates.
4: Well, you know, actually, there's there's a lot of progress that's been made, including in red states over the years. I mean, in terms of actually closing prisons, we we started in Texas in 2007 and we were going to the projection was we'd have to build 17000 prison beds. And instead, we put in place a lot of alternatives to prison um, and we ended up closing more than a dozen prisons. And, uh, you know, the federal prison population has come down dramatically. Juvenile incarceration is down by more than half over the last 15 years. So, you know, there's a lot of. um, Uh, a lot to celebrate Um, uh, but I think one of the things with marijuana in particular is it it doesn't it's not a major contributor to state prison populations either Uh, but it is a substantial driver in places where it's still criminal like Texas of jail populations so someone goes to jail and if they don't have money they can't bail out and all the research tells us even if you're there for 72 hours your car's impounded you may lose your job it's extremely destabilizing We, we send people back out in worse shape than when they came in and it's counterproductive.
0: Yeah, it's not a gateway drug so much as it's a gateway infraction. Much like not having your seatbelt on, the cops can use it to, as we say, fuck with you in untold number of ways. And as you well know, we're at a time when we are still 25% of the world's prisoners, but only 5% of the world's population. Uh, Let me ask, Mark, what should the average American understand about the ability of drug courts to reduce the recidivism rate and to keep families together instead of people just going back into jail over and over again for nonviolent drug offenses. Yeah, and
4: I should, since we've been talking about marijuana, make clear that drug courts uh, typically focus on people, you know, either charged with more serious drug possession or actually have a chemical addiction to heroin or or, or meth, that sort of thing, Uh, or uh, also increasingly on for example property offenses people stealing money to support their addiction of course. um so uh but to answer your question drug courts mental health courts veterans courts uh dwi courts they all have a really uh, a good record in terms of reducing recidivism uh they're I think the best way to think of it is they're an alternative uh, for people who need more structure than being uh, diverted entirely from the system, or even basic probation. But we don't want to uh, send them to prison and 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 waste that not only the dollars but also the human potential. And so there's so many. I mean, the data bears it out. So many stories of people grad, there are graduation ceremonies from these courts and uh, achieving great things. And of course, the other great good thing about these. Uh, treatment courts is it's more of a collaborative relationship between the defendant, the defense lawyer, the prosecutor, the judge, treatment providers. So it's right. rather than this adversarial approach that we focus on so much.
0: And then also, from what I understand it, there's a bit of a, a, a carrot and stick incentivizing there. And if someone misses a court date, they might have to go to jail for a weekend, but not five years. And in many cases, the weekend can strongly encourage people to make their court dates and not have to go back for longer stretches.
4: Yeah, that's a really important point because overall, the all the research shows it's the um, not the severity of the punishment, but the swiftness and sureness that uh, affects behavior. And, um, you know, there are certainly uh, most of the treatment courts now, they 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 recognize that relapse is part of recovery. So you don't lock someone up uh, necessarily, even at all, because they have a relapse. Um, but you do. Um, one of the things that uh, I've seen video of this, the drug court judge, you know, tell me the truth if you if you if you ran into a problem i want to know so we can help you uh and that's part of you know obviously being able to um uh have an um uh, 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 integrity of the system
0: do you see a time when we would see full decriminalization of cannabis even in republican-led states i mean it just seems so good for a consumer tax base
4: Well, you know, I think that it's really just a matter of which states have the ballot initiative, because what we've seen is this is unlikely to come from, um, you know, uh, politicians. But in those jurisdictions where uh, people can get something on the ballot, um, even in, you know, central right states whether it's arizona or or oklahoma for example has a citizen initiative uh and there was a significant drug policy measure uh enacted in by an invalid initiative oklahoma several years ago that reduced possession of hard drugs from a felony to a misdemeanor um you know i think one of the challenges is also making sure we, you know, adjust some of the budgets, because in a lot of states, the only way to get money for treatment is if it's a felony. And the only way to even get money at all is if someone's convicted. So we've got to kind of get out of that mindset and and get the treatment resources up front to people and, and have them not be so dependent on punishment.
0: You know, you had a great piece in Real Clear Politics, I just want to touch on for a second, because I loved it, called What Makes for Good Policing Makes for Good Citizenship. And you discuss how a recent study found only 30 percent of black Americans trust police. And you point out, besides being a moral imperative, trust between communities and police is also a public safety one. And I'm so glad you said that because you point out after this shooting, the police shootings of black Americans in Milwaukee, residents in those neighborhoods were less likely to report crimes. It's so essential because when you think of bad relations between police and community, Who does that hurt? I mean, it hurts the community, but it also hurts the precincts. It hurts the good cops. It hurts the ones that are there actually doing what we hope they're there to do. I mean, what what do we need to do as a society to begin improving police and community relations? And is that the sort of thing that can be top down? Or do we have to find new models on the regional level to see what works?
4: Well, that's, uh, you, you're so right on that, because the police need the information from the citizens to solve crimes. Um, and so the, to build that earned trust, you have to have transparency, accountability. Um, and, of course, there's, there's some good examples. I mean, Newark's made a lot of headway. And, and you know, of course, having uh, kind of outlets for positive interaction with the po- with police, you know, I, that's – great, like, you know, have coffee with the police and, and national night out with the police, which we just had. Those are good things. But it's even better when you have real engagement. So you have like a town right. hall where the public feedback on policing practices actually is taken into account in helping to guide future activities. Um, you know, the, one of the great examples is uh, in Los Angeles, they um, had a program where officers could apply for five years. It's still going on to be essentially based at some public housing complexes and those complexes have seen greater trust with police and they have these types of um meetings where the neighborhood provides feedback and then of course independent you know uh oversight and investigations when there are allegations of misconduct that the public can actually trust so it doesn't get swept under the rug and yeah. then certainly things like you know uh, data dashboards where the public can go on and see how many complaints have there been how many excessive use of force uh incidents mm-hmm. have there been and then finally i would just say, you know, fines and forfeitures, putting police in the position to have to um, extract money from people to, in some places that contribute to their salaries, that is setting them up for failure, both the police and the community.
0: You quote about that L.A. study uh, that I mean, that L.A. program. Not only did police who had five year stints in public housing complexes, not only did they participate in activities like walking with kids to school that provided the dual benefit of protection and relationship building. They held sessions in which they heard residents priorities and incorporated those in their work. It's nice to end a week like this on a positive note. Let me ask you, Mr. Levin, what's what's giving you hope right now in the criminal justice system?
4: Well, you know, it has been a difficult period, obviously, with um, in terms of um, you know crime rates that were tied to many factors coming out of the pandemic. Um, but I, we have seen uh, in the most recent data uh, uh, for 2022 that the Council on Criminal Justice put together and uh, covering almost 30 cities, a slight decline in homicides. So um, we need obviously much more. Um, but um, you know, I, I think that um, this is part of a larger challenge that you alluded to: is that you know, police are the kind the tip of the spear of government and you know it's great for we, we we all have a healthy we all should have a healthy skepticism of government but when it turns to distrust and sometimes that distrust comes from legitimate reasons we yeah. have to address that um in in our policies and so um I'm um I think that uh, that we're um seeing some examples of of, of uh, in certain jurisdictions whether it's Newark or Los Angeles um Dallas has made a lot of headway with some some of their initiatives that are um you know really target um, uh, prevention resources to certain areas and things like street lighting, dealing with dilapidated buildings, changing the environment so it's not conducive to criminal activity. Um, I think those things in partnerships with neighborhoods can really pay dividends.
0: Mark Levin is Chief Policy Counsel at the Council on Criminal Justice. Follow him on Twitter at Mark A. Levin. Such a pleasure, sir. Thanks for so much for joining us. We hope to have you back again anytime. Thanks, John. Thank you. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. This is Progress.
1: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
0: There really is no place like home. We are back with our good friend, comedian Jim Mandrinos. And Jim, before I even get to the calls, how inspiring has it been for you as we struggle here, wondering if our citizens are even going to care about democracy to see the latest revolution in Iran being led primarily by students, primarily by women?
2: You know, every once in a while you see something that kind of reminds you why you had a passion for something. And I've always been passionate for politics because I've always believed you can change. You can make things better you know i may not agree with you on what we think is better we may have differences of opinions but i've always believed we can work together to make it better and then you get disenchanted or disenfranchised because of what happened for me the whole trump thing really did make me you know miserable this is the only political show i'll even still do at this point in my career just because of how argumentative the talk has always been isn't it ugly
0: i know when you were like diehard republican it was always so much fun to work with you because i grew up around progressives and conservatives who disagreed all the time and they still got along you only see that in sports talk now never in political talk
2: yeah and it's just you know to me it's always been if you don't work together you don't get something done and then you you get you know just disheartened you don't think that you can affect a change anymore. And then you see 10 million young people hitting the streets in a right. country where here, they don't like the way you vote. You're gonna get yelled at. You're gonna get someone, you know, maybe on occasion you get a, a crazy person that wants to do you harm, but it's not the rule. There right. it's the rule. They're going out in the face of absolute definite violence. And they're still so passionate that they go. That tells you that the, the price for freedom is never too high.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I, it's so inspiring to me. And I just I just wish it was on our TVs even more. I mean, yeah. th- this is the sort of thing that I think could move a lot of Fox News viewers, you know, to, to recognize that the Iranian people aren't our enemies. You're concerned with the uh, what is it? Oh, yeah. The conservative religious men running the country. That's the yeah. people you have a problem with.
2: And to me, if we could separate the governments from the peoples, we'd be fine. But we can't. We we don't have that ability as human beings. You think policy is people and it's not.
0: Let's go to the phones. We have a lot of a lot of our evil army of the night. Jim Andrinos would like to weigh in. You up for talking to some of our riffraff? Absolutely. It's very good to see you, my friend. Let's go to Laura in L.A. Laura, you've been so patient on hold. Thank you.
1: Hello, hello. If you just hear me out, I got uh, three things. Um, okay. One was, uh, uh, in today's New York Times, a historian, Timothy Schacht, uh brought up about Obama wrote a manifesto when he was a Harvard Law student. Mm-hmm. And basically, it was his outline of how he won two terms as president. Okay.
0: Uh,
1: using uh, economic equity as the proxy for racial equity. And then he built coalitions of blue-collar white voters that voted for him. And um, the historian is saying, why aren't Democrats doing that today? It wasn't millennials that all voted for uh, Obama. It was blue-collar white workers as well as everybody else. So that was one. The number two thing was um, I have uh, visitors, my my sister and brother-in-law from uh, um, Scottsdale, Arizona, and we were watching the debate with Blake Masters uh, yesterday night, yeah. and um, he was saying we need to. Blake Masters was going anti woke to U.S. military. <laughs> yes. Uh, to Mark Kelly that was served in the U.S. military. But right away, my re- rebuttal was, "Guess what? National military is anti woke. Russia, and look mm. how good they're doing.
5: Right so on. yeah,
1: anti woke is not good for any military. And thirdly." The man, he's already gone now, the gym that's on the cruise ship. Remember yes. when Linda Ronstadt had a six month thing in Las Vegas at a Wynn hotel? Yes. And she made a, a joke about George W. George Bush. a uh, fake, uh, Yeah, a uh, fake uh, southern accent. Yeah. And on her third day, she was wiped off the stage by Wynn hotels. And you know his moral high ground. He raised his in and stuff. So, I can't believe that that evolution is now he can make jokes on a cruise ship and not lose his job.
0: So, mm. I guess
1: that's
0: a well, progress. It, it definitely is. And it's actually good that you bring that up. Yeah. Because uh, I think it's a shame if people ma- hey, look, if the joke's funny, you get away with it, right? Jim and yeah. Greenos. I mean, it doesn't, if the crowd doesn't like your politics, but the joke's funny, you get away with it.
2: Yeah. You know, they'll come up to you afterwards and they'll give you a talking to, but yeah. you'll get away with it. it it's, It's the problem is some people don't understand the difference between a joke and an opinion. And
0: yes, all too
2: often, what Linda Ronsett did was give her opinion. Um, And and she just wanted to bash. And you know what? Fair, fair game. It's fair game. You're the president. If somebody wants to say you're an idiot, you got we all have the constitutional right to say it. But again, you know, she did it in a place with a very conservative boss who wanted to make an example out of an
0: entertainer. That's true. Hey, thank you so much for the call, Laura. And I want to recommend everybody to read this lost manuscript of young Barack Obama, because it's really terrific. He goes after the left as much as the right. I read it and I'm like, wow, how, how can I vote for this guy? Let me go yeah. to Todd in Wisconsin. Todd, welcome. You're on with uh, my friend Jim Andrinos. This is SiriusXM. How are you?
5: I'm good. Hey, Jimmy hey, John. Hey. Um, Hello. I had really two things um if you want to win the war well, if you want to win the opinion war about uh marijuana and hemp just tell people that god wants you to smoke weed we have receptors in our body that just for thc and cbd you're right who put those receptors there god according that's to, right to them so god I also has grown it
0: all over the world for thousands of years
5: thousands but uh the other thing i wanted to talk about was uh drug court please i uh have had a couple of friends that i've helped uh with living situations and stuff like that after they got out of drug court and uh are my one friend told me that the only way to get into drug court is to commit a crime Mm -hmm. and then once you're committed that crime you have to break parole
0: Oh my God! He dropped went off. What He dropped. That's the deep state, Jim. Deep state.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he was giving. He was giving us the four one one.
0: I would have liked to have heard oh, the rest of that. Yeah. yeah, sorry about that, but I mean, I, I'm. It, it's bad. The system's rigged. I never thought Joe Biden would be the guy to come out and take a big step like what we saw yesterday.
2: I I think it's really wonderful that he is, you know, and I think it it speaks well to what he believes he's capable of.
0: Yeah. And this has been one of the this has been one of the sharpest areas I've criticized him on since he was sworn in. I mean, they were like firing White House people for having weed use in their past. And I'm like, what century are you trying to serve in? Let's go to Stephen in Kentucky. Stephen. Hello. How are you this evening? Very good. How are you?
6: I'm doing all right. Um, I wanted to correct something that you had said earlier. Um, Please correct me. June Allison was the spokesperson for Depends, and June Cleaver was on Leave It to Beaver. I, I know you mentioned that, and then of course yes. Christian Walker was the star of the erotic version of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. So I just <laughs> wanted to correct all of that.
0: <laughs> oh um, my God, you're so right. No, I'm so sorry to the estate of June Allison. I totally she was no a movie no actress. no. Well,
6: I can understand because well June Allison also I
0: June remember, Allison was in Little Women, right? She was the one in Little Women. In I'm so dumb. Yes, I'm so second, stupid. I'm so sorry, the June Allison fans around the world.
6: Well, I've never been crazy about her myself. To be perfectly oh. honest, I don't see how she could keep a straight face doing those Depends commercials. But that's another story. Hey,
0: she was getting uh, work. That was work. I'm sure she felt had mixed feelings about it too. But she kept up her union. Well, heard and, stories
6: and, about that woman, but I'm not going to go into it tonight. Oh, well, um, okay. <laughs> well, I was going to just mention, as far as. The elections are concerned. I'm having some trials and tribulations right now in my home state with obtaining my absentee ballot. Oh, no. And I'm sorry, you'll have to excuse me, because I have been very upset about this as a reason. I don't blame you. They they say that, uh, well, you know, if you don't vote, you don't have... I have been trying to get these people, reason with these people. I have called the ACLU about this problem. I have contacted an attorney about this problem. What's happening is this. In 2020, I had contacted the Board of Elections about... uh, obtaining an absentee ballot, because I have, I had suffered a breakdown several years before, and I have anxiety disorder still. Mm. And also with COVID going on, coupled with the idea of Proud Boys trying to assault people in these polling places, I did not want to make myself a sitting target. Right. So obviously, I had the Use. They approved of it. They did. And I was able to obtain that ballot and fill it out for both the primary and the presidential election. And it, it was successful. So okay. I applied in April of this year because our primary was on May the 17th. So they gave okay, so three weeks in advance.
0: But, but you're not is, set now. Go ahead. What's the problem?
6: The problem is, is that in my home state in March, They passed a law two sixteen was the number that okay. essentially said that unless you provide them with your social security number after they already have it on file mm-hmm. when I registered because they already have it on file, mm-hmm. they want my social security number and they want to put it on an unsecure website that's been hacked before. I okay. checked this out I did and I'm very angry about this and So I wait yes, a second,
0: unless might... unless you agree to have your social security number put on a website, you will not be able to vote in in the next election is that what you're telling us
6: the man that sponsored this legislation let me explain he well, is, really quick we have
0: a hundred callers on hold so make it really tight for me
6: well this man is a trump supporter and he was bitching about the fact that he said that this is about election security it has nothing to do with election
0: i get security. that they're liars i know but J- jim and i'm not sure i buy this i mean there's got to be recourse for you Stephen. they're they're actually saying that you can't well, keep your social I've, security I mean, number private just, let me just vote? say
5: this.
6: I've been talking with an attorney, and if I have to, I will make sure that that man's balls are in the Smithsonian next to George Washington's false teeth. I don't give a damn at this point. I, they're trying to shut me up, and I don't like to be shut up. Okay, I really Steven, don't. And I told and I told the Board of Elections, I said, <laughs> let me tell you something. I said, they were bound to come across somebody like this. And I said, I am not one to cross when okay, I want something
0: done. I want to jump in and, and participate I, for a minute, here. Jim, Jim, go ahead.
2: The bigger the bigger problem is that there are laws being passed that are trying to limit our access to our online voting or mail-in voting or early yeah. voting, and or drop it's, boxes. it's all yep. done just to suppress the vote. They saw what happened in the last presidential election. They understand that if you make things easier for people to vote, more people vote, and the last thing you want in this country, if you want to hold on to any bit of your power, is more people voting.
0: Correct. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, thank you very much for the call, Stephen. And please keep us up to, uh, to speed as to what's going on with that, because uh, I, I don't like those stories. And I want everyone to call and make sure you are registered. If you're voting by mail this year, get that ballot as early as you yeah. possibly can. Um, let me try to get one or two more calls in before our next break, if that's OK with you, Mr. Mandrinos. Hello to it Todd is. in Wisconsin. Welcome.
5: Hey, sorry about that.
0: No um, reason. No worries.
5: Yeah, I got back on what i wanted to say was uh, the drug courts the uh the, the problem what they are is is because nobody can just go get treatment right unless you have insurance or the money to pay for it right so you have to go through drug court and to go through drug court you have to commit a crime and then you have to break parole that's right go back in jail that's yes and and it's just a vicious cycle and it leaves a stain on so many people that would never have committed a crime
0: in the first place. It's true. It's true. And, and, and in, so, in so many ways, you have to actually do an even deeper crime to get out of trouble in the first place. It's madness. Yes.
5: And so <laughs> I, that's what I wanted to say is I, I loved what Mr. Levin said about the drug court. And that and yes, it does help. And they are. I don't want to say lenient, but they they will work with you if you're willing to work for it.
0: Yeah, so. smart judges know it's a racket. They don't want the prisons filled up even more. It costs the communities too much money. Todd, thanks for calling back. I really really do appreciate it. Uh, Jim Andrinos, I got to ask you, what are what are you optimistic about as we are now 1 month from tomorrow from this election? What what's giving you hope as a jaded I'm, former Republican?
2: I'm seeing more and more politicians called to the carpet for their shit and you know, by ordinary citizens. Uh, The town halls have been absolutely brutal. Ted Cruz at an airport has been absolutely brutal. It's people are finally starting to go, no, you can't just get away with this. We understand you're a hypocrite and I'm gonna call you a hypocrite. It's been a long time coming, but I think the inclination of politicians as better than us is over. And that makes me very hopeful. I think it humanizes them It lets us see them as terribly flawed. And it may lead to things like voting out the bad ones and not worried about, you know, I want my senator to have tenure. And it may even hopefully someday lead to, dare I say, the two words every politician hates
0: term limits. Ah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Let me go to Lou in Indiana. Lou, thanks for your patience on hold. Welcome.
7: Hi, John. How are you doing? Hello. Hey, uh, so I was at the the Chicago show. Oh, beside, thanks. Behind, Thank you.
0: Uh,
7: yeah, Karen from Chicago didn't stay for the uh, meet and greet. Just uh, felt like uh, I didn't want to take up other people's time. That were oh. <laughs> having so much more fun. Well, you missed but, a good
0: you missed a good time. Jan Schakowsky was all hands. That's all I'm saying. That congresswoman, <laughs> she can party.
7: <laughs> I, I I had so much fun. We stayed at the Swiss. It was really cool. We had glad you fun. came. Great show. Yes, it was. It was awesome. Um, I wanted to tell a story. So I was a 30-year teacher in Chicago Public Schools, which was absolutely a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing that happened to me and absolutely a a terrible thing that happened to me. But um, that's that's a lot of stories. So now I drive a street sweeper for uh, my town, which is just south of Gary, Indiana. And I was driving through town, and I kept seeing all these signs for the opposition for uh, our uh, current congressional uh, guy, uh, right. Frank Mervin, 1st District in Indiana. And I was I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. I'm seeing too many signs, just like I saw too many signs when Trump in 2016. And uh, so I, I, I called D.C. and said his office, you know, got to his office and said, you know, where can I get a sign for my yard? And she goes, well, we can't do that. You know, there's a, a log inside and I'm like, oh, what? what is that? Uh, oh, the Hatch Act, and she's like, um, what? She's like, yeah, the Hatch Act, correct? And so she directed me to the to the uh, office, you know, his office, and I called and got a hold of them, and they're going to give me a street sign. So in the meantime, I take a stop at the local gas station to you know relieve myself and buy a snack or whatever. Okay. And here's Frank Mervin the our first congressional uh representative in in her shopping <laughs> and oh. i'm like oh my god dude where i gotta talk to you and so i i had it was just it was a positive thing in uh you know a time where i'm i'm not so good at being optimistic i've had a lot of tough times over uh, my career and uh, uh personal life and stuff yeah but um, so it was really cool to meet this guy and talk to this guy and and get a little optimism and listening to your show and Steffi and um, the whole shot is is something very important to me and it um, I I got xm just so I could listen to your oh, show. Oh, you're so kind.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I'm so honored. Uh, Lou, yeah, I, I'm so you grateful know, you I, would I call in.
7: A sweeper during the day and I'm like I got one earbud in. I can't have two because I got to listen for you know ambulances and so forth as I drive around, but I I I reject that. You
0: should endanger lives, put in both headphones. I demand (laughs) it. I
7: do endanger lives. I try (laughs) to not do so much, but you know, I, I, You know, it's 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 one of those things,
0: man. We got to hit our break. But that's so kind of you. I so appreciate it, Lou. Please call in any time and let us know how you're doing. Uh, And I I think he makes a really important point, Jim, because I think for fascists, gaslighting means they want you to despair. They don't want you to vote. They don't want you to have any hope. They want you to stay home on Election Day.
2: You know, the the antidote for fascism is going to the polls.
0: Boom, Jim, can you stay with us through the break for our final minutes in the next segment? We'll be right back in just a couple. This is Progress After Dark.
3: This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's p-h-i-l-o dot tv slash p-o-p-p-o-d-s to get 50% off your first month.
6: Okay, picture this. It's
0: Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Jim had the best idea. He was just telling me, you know, like I'm like, oh, we got to get all private money out of elections and have elections be publicly funded. And, and Jim, you think what we really need to do is somehow get movement behind a law that says you could only donate to a candidate if you can also vote, vote for,
2: for the candidate. It makes the most logical sense. Everyone talks about I don't want my union to choose who they're giving money to. OK, unions can't vote, so they can't do it unions can't give money to it PACs can't give a vote for somebody all those places can't do it if you can't raise from your constituents enough money to run a commercial you don't run a commercial it should be that simple
0: jim you're running a new club in newark that i can't wait to come perform in. tell us a bit about what you're doing in our final minute together
2: we have, uh, or I just stood with my partner John G, uh, club in New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, called on uh, on Washington Street. I give it the full plug, uh, one forty four Street called Comedy Therapy, and we've got shows every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, we are right in the University Heights section, which is a great section in Newark. Newark is the largest American city that never had a full time comedy club.
0: Boom, and boom. When
2: we were looking for it, we just went, "Let's do that," and and it's been crazy i mean the food is good the the people are good there's a it's byob so you're not gonna have to spend eight hundred dollars for two drinks
0: you know? it, <laughs> well i can't uh, wait to come play so there.
2: far everything you can everything you i've always wanted in a comedy club you know sean as a performer you walk into a club you see them running it bed and you go well if i was running it i'd do this this and this and now I'm running it, so I'm thing. doing this, this, and this.
0: Hey, Jim, tell our listeners how they can follow you and your comedy.
2: Instagram, Mandrinos in Exile, or um, Facebook and uh, Twitter, at Jim Mandrinos. Uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Or go to my website, worldsbestcomic.com.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Mandrinos. I also want to thank uh, Jim David and Mark Levin for joining us in the first two hours. And thanks to Thea and Chris for being awesome as well. We'll be back tomorrow. Peace.